Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. You know, Lord, I don't just say it here, but when I'm home praying about camp, that being with children in this room at this time of year is heaven on earth to me. Thank you, Lord, that you've given all of us another year to be with them, Lord. We know that uh, it's, a, it's a gift. It's, it's not guaranteed. Anyone, any one of us, Lord, could be in heaven next year at this time. But we thank you, Lord, that it's a privilege and an honor and a blessing to be with these precious little ones. And Lord, they're young, they're tired, and rightly so. But Lord, I just ask you that your spirit would quicken them by the power of your word, which is able to raise the dead. Don't be surprised at this, the Lord Jesus said, that the, those who are in their graves will hear the voice of the Son of God and will come out. Jesus Christ is going to raise from the dead billions of people by his word. So Lord, we thank you that you can quicken us to hear that precious word tonight. So Lord, I just, Lord, I just ask you to help me to present your word in such a way that it will not be a varnished truth, Lord, but it will be in a capsule that these precious little ones, Lord, can grasp and it will stir their souls, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' precious name. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel came to Joseph, the, step, the stepfather, the earthly father of Jesus. Remember what he said when Jesus was about to be born? He said, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their, from their sins. Now, here's the interesting thing, young people, is that when Jesus saves us, he doesn't just save us from sin. So I was very perplexed. Why did the angel only say he shall save us from their sins when there are so many other things that we get saved from? And here is why. The angel said exactly what he was supposed to say by the Holy Spirit. Anytime an angel comes to you and says more than what God told him to, it's not a holy angel. Demons love to teach. It's one of their favorite things to do. So that's why this angel said exactly what God told him to say to Joseph. He shall save his people from their sin. Interesting. Why? The sin, once a sin is committed, any of you have a smartphone? How many of you have a smartphone or have seen a, a, a smartphone, a screen? On the home screen, thank you. On the home screen, there are a bunch of tiny little boxes about a quarter inch by a quarter inch. What are they called? They're all okay, very good. They're apps and they're also called begins with an I. Icons, right? Well, the thing's just a tiny little box. What can that do? But how many of you know, all you have to do is take your finger and tap on that little app or box and what happens? <laughs> Doesn't it? It opens you up to the whole vast internet, the cyber world, and all it was a tiny little box that you touched. And in a very real way, that is the nature of sin. It only takes one sin to be committed and it sets off a domino effect. How many know what dominoes are? How many of you have ever seen videos where you see people who have way too much time on their hands and, and certainly medicine to do it. But what do they do? They'll end up thousands and thousands of dominoes, something like this, remember? And then what do they do? Dink! And they hit the first domino, and what happens? They all start falling, don't they? Like, it's crazy. But that's exactly what happened with sin. The devil knew very, very well what would happen by the power of one sin. And that's exactly what happened with him. 
And the devil was one, of, he was one of the highest ranking angels. He was a guardian cherub. Ezekiel chapter 28 says that he was perfect in wisdom and beauty, that he was covered with perfect stones until iniquity was found in him. We know from Isaiah chapter 14, what was the iniquity that was found in Satan's heart before he became Satan? It was pride. And what did he say? He said, I will make my throne. I will set it above the stars. I will ascend to the heights. And then he says, I will become like the most high God. He tried to take over heaven. He wanted to be greater than God and dethrone God. And what does it say? It says that immediately Satan was cast out of heaven by Michael and his angels. And it was, it was no, there was no contest. It says there was war in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. But they were not strong enough. Who? The dragon, the dragon and his angels, Satan. And where did he go? When Satan was kicked out of heaven, where did he go? He's never been in hell. Satan has never been in hell. In fact, no one has ever been in hell. Jesus Christ created hell for the devil and his angels. There's never been any being that's ever been there yet. Gehenna, the lake of fire, has been burning with a deafening roar for thousands of years, but no one's ever been there. Satan didn't go to hell. It's not his kingdom. It's not where he rules. Satan isn't in hell tormenting people who go there because no one's been there yet in the lake of fire. Well, where did he go? Somebody said it. He went to the earth. Who was the first person he went to? First one. Eve. Interesting. Why did he go to Eve? Very good reason why. Adam was given a command. The Lord told him before Eve was even created. He said, of all the trees in the garden, you are free to eat. Only the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. Adam got one command. When he got that from the Lord, Eve wasn't even created yet. The devil knows... It's easier to deceive someone who wasn't face-to-face -face with God and heard his word directly and being in his presence. It's easier to deceive people who they get hand-me-down knowledge, which is part of teaching. I'm doing it to you now. But it's easier to deceive them than it is the one who has that sweet, very close communion with God. So what happened? Very first words out of the devil's mouth. He has never stopped saying it ever since. Did God really say he questioned the word of God. He does it every single day on the internet. Did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What did Eve say? Of all of the trees in the garden, we are free to eat. It's only the tree in the middle of the garden. We must not eat it nor touch it or we will die. Did God tell Adam that he couldn't touch the tree? No, Eve added to the word of God. How? Well, anytime you get in a conversation with the devil, you're gonna get confused. Now, what was the first words out of his mouth after she said that? He goes, you shall not surely die. The father of lies just called God the father a liar. You shall not surely die. Because God doth know that in the day you eat of it, you shall become like gods, knowing the difference between good and evil. Now, isn't that exactly the sin that the devil did? He wanted to be like God, and now he was tempting Adam and Eve to want to be like God. You shall be like gods, knowing the difference between good and evil. How many of you have ever seen Snow White before? The movie Snow White. Okay, my wife Kim and I recently watched it not that long ago. And I was struck by the scene of, remember the, the beautiful queen who was very jealous of Snow White's beauty? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Remember eventually he kept saying she was and then one day, no, thou are not the fairest anymore. Snow White is fairer by far. Something like that, remember? What happened to the queen? She got very, very jealous of the favor that Snow White had in her beauty. So what did she do? Did she go right to Snow White as the queen? Who did, what did she do? That's right, how'd she do it? 
She became an old lady. And how'd she, how'd she become an old lady? Remember, she went down to the dungeon and she made this brew? She disguised herself so that Snow White wasn't, wouldn't know it was her. So she, she was one of the ugliest cartoon characters I've ever It still scares me when I see her, but she dressed herself up as old granny, remember? And she drank the potion. And man, it's hideous looking, even as I think about it, telling you. But you see, Snow White would be much less afraid of old granny than she would of the queen. So this is very powerful, and this is exactly the nature of the devil when he came after Adam and Eve. He, like that like old granny who was the queen in disguise, he was desperate for Adam and Eve to sin. Just once. Well, why, Pastor Michael? Because he knew by experience how holy God was, that the devil only did one sin, and it cost him eternity in the lake of fire eventually. One sin! And Jesus said that he saw Satan get kicked out of heaven like lightning. Is lightning pretty fast? There was no struggle. Satan, boom, thrown, to, thrown out of heaven like lightning. So the devil, he didn't have the kind of heart that he should have had when he fell. He should have gone to Adam and Eve and said, listen, you two, I, may, I was the biggest fool. I was one of the highest ranking angels. I had such favor and closeness with God. Please, I entreat you, don't make the mistake I did. He had no attitude like that at all because he was thoroughly and totally depraved. So what did he do? He went and tried to get them to do the same sin that he did. Now what happened? He shall save his people from their sin. So all he was, like that old hag in Snow White, she kept saying, eat it, take a bite, please take a bite. That's how she kept talking to Snow White. And as you're watching the cartoon, you're like, <laughs> you're just so intense. Is she going to eat it? Is she going to eat it? Take good, good, take a bite. Because she was afraid that, you know, that she wouldn't take the bite. Why did the queen want her to take the bite? What was in the apple? Poison. Poison. Now watch. And all the queen, all she had to do was get Snow White to take one bite, and she knew Snow White would die. That's exactly what the attitude of the devil was with Adam and Eve. So what happened? The devil was coming after Adam and Eve, but he didn't come as himself again. What did he come as? Snake. A snake. Now, we might think, well, Eve should have known better. Duh, a snake. But you see, back then, it says in the Bible that they were just one of the many wild animals that the Lord God had made. So back then, there wasn't an issue. If a snake comes up to you tomorrow and starts talking to you, I would run. But Eve, it was not the same thing. So watch. The devil wanted so badly for Adam and Eve to get into his trap. But the devil is not stupid. He doesn't just put out a trap. Hey, stupid, come and walk in that. That's not the way he works. What does he do? He always puts something to tempt and entice you that the Bible says is pleasing to the eye and is good to make you smarter than God. He knew exactly what to hold out to them because he fell by it. And what happened? When Adam ate the fruit, everything changed. By the bite of a piece of fruit by one man, one time, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, it says that death entered the world through one man. And sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. By one bite of a piece of fruit by one man, one time, all of a sudden, death spread to the whole human race. But then it says in verse 17 of that, that death not only spread to everyone, but it says that death reigned over everyone. There is no one who beats death. No one. Everyone, as soon as you're born, you start, to die, you start to age and get very old if the Lord gives you a long life. Have you ever seen like a 99-year-old woman, very, very wrinkled, osteoarthritis, you know, hovered over, and if a little girl got near her, the little girl would be afraid. But here's what you must remember. That woman who's 99 years old and near the, near the cemetery, near the grave, 
She looked just like one of these little angels right here one time. And she was afraid of very old woman when she was a little angel. How did this happen, Pastor Michael? The bite of a piece of fruit by one man one time. Then it also says that the whole human race, because of Adam's sin, was condemned. Well, how is that so? Adam ate the fruit, but I get condemned? Here is why. Adam represented all of us because he was our father. And so what happened when he ate the fruit? He, condemnation, judgment, death, death reigned. And here's the last one. Remember, boys, the, the lava lamp out in the purity talk today? Remember the red side? All of us got that nature when our mommy and daddy got together and made us. And they gave us that sin nature just like their mommy and daddy gave it to them. It says, by the disobedience of one man, meaning Adam, many were made sinners. That's you and me. That's why you don't have to teach children how to sin. They know how to do it really well. But where'd they get it? They got it from Adam, their father. You see now why the devil so badly, all he needed was one sin. And it says that he shall save his people from their sin. But there was more than that. Because it says, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely Die. The Lord told Adam, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. What are wages? When somebody works for a boss, he gets paid. They pay him wages. He earned the wages. He worked for them. And that's exactly what the Bible means when it says, when you do sin, and that's what you involve yourself in, you get paid by God, and it's death. The wages of sin is death. Ezekiel, the prophet who lived hundreds of years before Jesus was born, he said by the, by the influence of the Holy Spirit that the soul or the human being that sins, he will die. It's impossible, young people, for death not to come with sin. It's a package deal. Well, why is that, Pastor Michael? Here is why. God is the fountain of life. Psalm 36, 9. All life comes from God, the Holy One. John 1, 4, it says, in him, in the Lord Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. So that when you think and do and are things that are opposite of he who is the fountain of life, there's only one alternative for someone like that. It's death. God must punish sin by death. So when it says he shall save his people from their sin, there's so much more involved. But like I said, the devil just wanted the one sin. I have a bunch of dynamite sticks here, right? Do I need a fuse in every dynamite stick to get them all to blow up? How many fuses do I need? I only need one, don't I? All, well, wait a minute, Michael. I thought every, every stick has to have a fuse in it. Nope. If I light this, it only takes one dynamite stick to go off, and what happens to the other ones? They go off. That's the nature of sin. Sin ignites and blows up and explodes so many other things than just the sin. That's the principle involved. So... He shall save his people from their sins. And the number one thing that goes with sin is death. By saving us from our sins, Jesus saves us from death. But here, how did that happen, Pastor Michael? How, what caused Adam to sin? What was it? It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, that Adam sinned by breaking a command. What was the command again? Genesis 2, 16. You know, you, of all the trees of the garden, you are free to eat, but you must not eat of the fruit. Remember the tree of the, of the fruit of God knowledge of good and evil. That was Adam's command. He broke a command, and the Bible says in 1 John 3, 4, that all sin is lawlessness. So Adam broke that command. Then the Israelites, who were given the Ten Commandments that we saw last night, what are the Ten Commandments for them? They got the law of Moses. But what about all the people like you and I who are not Jewish? 
Well, guess what the Bible says in Romans chapter 2? We have the law of God that was given to the Israelites, but instead of being in tablets of stone, it's written on our hearts. When we're born! That's why people who've never read the Bible or heard the law of the God or the Ten Commandments, they know when they're doing wrong. It's called a conscience, right? And it's because the law of God is written on our hearts. Well, what is the nature of the law of God? We need to be saved from the consequences of the law. Let's go. You shall honor the Lord your, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. How do I know, Pastor Michael, if I have something that's a God other than the, the, the living God? Here's how you know. Anyone or anything that you think about more, talk about more, spend more time about, spend more money on, get more emotionally excited about than the Lord and his son and his kingdom and his gospel, that's an idol. May I say it for you? We're all guilty. We've all broken the first one. What's the second one? You should not make unto you any graven image. Yeah, those dumb, stupid people in the Bible who would make idols of brass and wood and stone. Stupid people. But you see, all of us, until we know the true God, we make idols of God. In our, we, we make God out to be what we want him to be. So we make our own gods in our hearts and our minds. And if we hear about the true God and we don't like it, that's because we have an idol. And then I've also seen those dumb, stupid people in the Old Testament where they bow down to these idols that they carved and made themselves. I have seen countless people of all ages who just behold and stare and, and just give their time and their eyes to a device. And the device is what they, depending on what they watch it, it, it controls their emotions. That's an idol. That's a graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I don't know how many youth retreats I've done. And then we, we have a meeting, something like this, where the word of the Lord is being preached and the presence of the Lord is strong. And then in a, and then a competition or a game, I hear the teens go, oh, OMG, but they say it out. They just took the name of the Lord their God in vain. And in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, one of the men, it says, blaspheme the name. He took the name of the Lord, the, uh, of the name of the Lord in vain. Guess what? Two people heard him say it. They reported him to the elders. They took him outside the camp and they stoned him. You see how holy God is. God's name represents him. You shall honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We have become lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We fuss and whine and we can't do our fun activities. And if we have to go to church, then we whine and fuss and give mom and dad a hard time. We've broken that one. You shall honor your father and your mother. I'm ashamed to tell you this. When I was about 15 years old, I got really angry at my dad. I don't even know why. I went up in my bedroom and I cursed him out because I was too afraid to curse him to his face. If I had lived in Moses' day, all it took was two people to hear me and they go and tell the elders, guess what they would do, young people? They'd go in my house in South Jersey, into my neighborhood, into my house, up the stairs, into my bedroom on the right. They would drag me out of the bedroom, out of the house, out of the neighborhood, and they would stone me. The Bible says that cursed is anyone they must die if they curse their mother or father. And I'm even ashamed to say this with my grandson sitting here. But one time I got really mad at my mother. And I love my mother. She called me Mikey till like the day she died. And I was her baby boy, you know. But you know, it was a long time ago, but I got very mad. And I, I just got so frustrated with her, even though she was right and I was wrong. I was the guilty one. I raised my hand like I wanted to hit her. If I had lived in Moses' day, two people, all they had to say was Michael just tried to attack his mother take me outside the house and stone me. That's how holy God is. Stoned. Stoned. Wow.
You shall not lie. Bears false, bear fault witness. You shall not steal. Not only shall you not steal something that belongs to another person, the, the, the commandments near the end, even if you see what your neighbor has and you desire it strongly, you covet it, you've broken those. You shall not commit adultery. Kim and I have been married almost 46 years. I have been faithful to my wife with my body for 46 years. But I haven't always been faithful with my eyes and my heart. In God's eyes, what did Jesus say? If you look at another woman or another man, if you're, you know, and you don't have pure thoughts about them, you've already committed adultery in God's eyes. Guilty. Now, this is why you desperately need to know what Jesus saves you from. I was depressed and he saved me from depression. Well, that's good. I fight depression too, but it's so much more than depression. The law of God. Now watch this. The Bible says that if you keep the whole law of God your entire life and you only break one, one time, you've broken all of them. Broken all of them? How in the world can that be, Pastor Michael? <clears throat> Here's how it works. If you came up to me and you took this knife and you stuck it in my left shoulder, I wouldn't stand there and go, ow, pain, left shoulder hurts. If you stuck this in my shoulder, I'd go, ow, Gertie, lighten up, it's just your shoulder. But Michael Gerton, right, is not just a shoulder, is he? My shoulders are connected with tendons and nerves and to my skeleton system. And then, so you affected more than just my shoulder that you stuck the knife in. And then I begin to process in my mind, why in the world did my person hate me so much that they would stick a knife in me? So you've affected my brain. Then my emotions, I'm terribly crushed and hurt and sorrow, full of sorrow because, man, they hate me so much. It just hurts so bad. You affected all of me, but all you did was stick it in my shoulder. And that's in the principle of how, well, God, I only lied twice. Yeah, but you committed adultery with your eyes yesterday. You see, God is a unity, young people. You can't break just one part of his law, and it doesn't affect all of God. So that's why James 2.10 says that. If you keep the law of God your whole, your whole life and break it just one time, you've broken all of it. Now, every kid, compared to the law of God, gets a report card. One of the many reasons I love kids and love being with them is they are much more honest than we adults are. So if you ask a kid, like, if you had a report card for how good or bad you are, what do you think you'd get? You know, a lot of kids, there's an honest kid. He said, see, you know, and some kids might say, well, you know what? You know, I know I'm not a, you know, I'm not an A yet, but look, but you should see Tommy. Tommy's a D, so I'm better than him. But you see, God doesn't compare you. God doesn't compare you to other children. You know what he compares you to? His holy law. Now watch. On that day, young people, when you were doing your best to try to be good, compared to God, how holy he is in his holy law, you're an F minus. You're an F minus. That's how holy God is. Now watch. Gertie, are you trying to depress us? In a way, yes, to depress you right to the foot of the cross. Now watch. The Bible says, that cursed is everyone who doesn't continue to do everything written in the law perfectly your entire life, if that is what you're trusting in to go to heaven. It says if you don't do it perfectly, you're under a curse. Well, Gertie, what's the pirate flag for? 
I have two Israel flags. And when Israel was on earth back thousands of years ago, the Lord told Israel to wipe out all the nations around them that were idol worshipers. They would burn their children in fires. They would do very wicked, evil things with their bodies. And they had tons of idols and they were horrifically wicked. And yet God in his loving kindness let them live for hundreds of years. But finally God had had enough. And when he sent Israel in there, who was no better than them, the Bible says, he said, wipe them all out. Don't leave anything alive that breathes. Why is that, Michael? Because they were under the curse of God because of their wickedness. You see, young people, when God curses something, it isn't like you and me where we say bad words. God doesn't know how to do that because he can't sin. He never has a desire to sin nor the ability to sin. God is so holy that he curses things that are not holy. And I love him so much for that. Oh, I do. It makes me love him so much. Nothing is worse than a liberal God. Oh, that's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. We'll do better next time. Can you imagine if that's the way God was? I'd be terrified for my survival. But you see, it says that cursed is everyone who doesn't keep the law of God perfectly their entire life if that's what they're trusting in to get to heaven. So here's what we are. We got our report card on us. Now we adults know, don't we? It's more than a report card, don't we? It's a crime record. Every sin you've ever done. And what does it say? If you don't keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, God in his holiness and his love of himself and his justice, he must curse you. Is, is he mean? Is he No, he doesn't know how to be mean because he's perfect. He's holy. He's, he can't. He's so holy, he curses evil. Now watch. This is why we need to understand what we're saved from. If you don't understand how much you're saved from, your love for Jesus will be very, very weak. Your adoration and love and worship of him will be very shallow. This is why I preach like this for decades to all ages, because I want so much for them to know how much the love of Jesus is despite how evil we are. But if you don't hear this stuff, it won't matter to you. So what happens? By being safe from our sins, we're safe from the law and trying to keep it perfectly and from its curse. Now, here's something else that happens, though. The Bible says that the law, Romans chapter 4, verse 15, brings wrath. God's wrath, his anger, is absolutely adorable. Michael, where does it come from? God's wrath comes from his justice. Well, where does his justice come from? It comes from his holiness. When God gets angry, every drop of it, every molecule of it is deserved. And God so often holds back his wrath for hundreds of years. He's like a volcano, young people. How many of you know when a volcano erupts and wipes out whole cities, did that just start like getting hot under the ground like five minutes before? Volcanoes can sit there for hundreds of years and way deep beneath the surface there's that molten lava and that rock and the gases and it's building up pressure and pressure and pressure and all of a sudden when that volcano burst it's because it couldn't take it anymore and that's a very good picture of the wrath of God the Bible says he's slow to anger he's long-suffering so when the wrath comes out young people it was long overdue that's why God's wrath is like a volcano and it's one of the most adorable things about God. Some of my deepest times of loving him and wanting to hold him so tightly as after I've given a lot of thought and meditation on his holy wrath because he only has anger against things that deserve it.
You and I get so easily angered at people because we're proud and selfish. And if people don't do to us what we think they should, God can't be like that because that's selfish sin and anger. But when God gets angry, it's always against evil. And I love this definition by this German man several decades ago. What is God's wrath? He said, it's God's attack on all forces that resist his holy will. God's wrath is his attack on all forces that resist his holy will. And it says, young people, that before Jesus comes inside of you, you and I were children of wrath. We deserved God's wrath because of what we were and what we did. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. It says in John, John's often called the apostle of love. And he was the one, the, the apostle, the Bible says, who leaned his head against Jesus' chest. I would give all I own for that privilege. But he wrote in the same chapter with John 3.16, he said, whoever believes in the Son has life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Present tense. Every single person on the earth right now that doesn't have Jesus inside of them and, and they're in him, right now, at this moment, God's wrath is hanging over them. You don't hear that very often, but the apostle of love said it. And when you really love people, you tell them the truth and you warn them. I didn't get saved till I was 18, and I had God's wrath on me when I was going to church. I was religious. All I cared about, though, were girls, sports, and music. That was it. Even though I went to church, I didn't live for Jesus. I didn't know him. So here I was going to church, and God's wrath was still on me because I didn't put my soul in the care of the good shepherd. Wow. Now, I want to show you a principle here. I'm giving it to you hard. You know what? I guarantee it. If you, if you, if you take this in, I guarantee you'll love Jesus more. This is one of the scariest things I've ever learned in the Bible, but one of the most, it makes me want to cling to Jesus so much. Uh, the extension cord, Jonas, my dear little brother. Oh, thank you. I got it, babe. Thanks so much. Okay. Let's make sure it works here. Thank you, bro. All right, hang on, don't get scared. Nope, uh, why isn't it working here? Uh, very important that we get this thing working here. Oh, there we go, okay, good. This is what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter two, he was dealing with very proud people who the Messiah came for, but they didn't want to have anything to do with him. And no, much, no matter how much love and grace and mercy and the sending of God's only son to them, they weren't interested. And they just kept despising God's goodness. And God would be good and long-suffering and kind to them. And Paul's saying, what are you people doing? Do you hate God and despise his long-suffering? He's enduring your sin so much. Don't you realize that you are storing up wrath for yourself? What do you mean? If a person is not a Christian, every single day of their life, 
They have a wrath jar that's hanging over their head. This is how I illustrate it. Why is it bubbling, Michael? Because the wrath of God, when God is very angry, he likens it unto a, a, a goblet of wine that foams and it bubbles in full mixture. And here's what I was doing and didn't even know it. Paul said that when people keep hearing about the love of Jesus and about the cross of Christ and the mercy of God, that his desire is to save sinners, but they keep saying, boring, don't care, who cares? And you keep sinning? The Bible says that you are storing up wrath for yourself. That it's God's wrath, but you're the one who determines how severe it's going to be when you die, if you die in your sins. This, I've known this verse for decades, and I never understood it like I did in the last half a year or so. Like, oh, my dear father, people, by the number of sins that they do and the severity of sins that they do, what do you mean? Like you're in much more trouble with the Lord if you kill people than if you steal candy bars because God is just. Sin is sin, but it's not all the same degree. So I'm talking about people who have no interest in the Savior at all, could care less what he did on the cross. They spit on his, on his feet. Well, this is what they're doing. Paul said, by your stubborn and your hard, unrepentant heart, you don't apologize to God for anything. You could care less. What you're doing, Paul said, is you're storing up wrath for yourself by the number of sins, by how severe they are. And here's the other thing that, that determines how severe their punishment will be in eternity, by how many times... God tried to reach them through all kinds of people, their parents, their relatives, people at church, their friends, driving down 95 and they see a billboard that, that's about Jesus and they laugh at it or ignore it. Every single time they had a chance to receive the love and the forgiveness of God and they ignored it, that increases their wrath, that they're going to endure in eternity. I was like, oh my dear, oh my dear, it's God's wrath, but these sinners who want nothing to do with him, they have the dial that turns up how severe it's going to be for all of eternity. So you see, young people, when it says he shall save his people from their sin, it's saving us so much more than just sin because sin causes all this other stuff to happen. And one of the greatest expressions, of the greatest or most severe expressions we know of the wrath of God is hell. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus said, that hell was created for whom? The devil and his angels. But sadly, every single human being who wants to reject the Lord and his love, you're following Satan. You're following Satan. So countless billions of people are going to be in the lake of fire as well. And it's, and it's a terrible place. And Jesus said, talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Well, why, Michael? because we're a fallen race. If we hadn't sinned and we all were sinless like Adam and Eve before the fall, Jesus probably wouldn't have talked that much about hell. But because we're a fallen race, and Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that most of the human race was going there, that's why Jesus talked about it a lot, because he loved us enough to warn us. So it says that, what is it, what is it like, Jesus? You see, Jesus knows all about hell because he created it. The lover of our souls created hell. Why? Again, because he loves holiness. He loves righteousness. He loves purity. And if anyone doesn't want that, there's only one place for them. So what did Jesus say hell was like? He said that it burns with sulfur. Sulfur smells like rotten eggs. It's a horrible smell. And that it has flames. That's what Jesus told us. And he said the people who will go there, it says they'll be weeping and gnashing their teeth. <laughs> And one Bible scholar said that when a person is weeping and gnashing their teeth, it's because their pain is so severe 
that they, ha don't, they don't have words anymore to express how bad it is. And here the Lord Jesus, the lover of our souls, is the one who said that's what it's going to be like. And then he said that hell is going to be a place of outer darkness. Outer darkness. Now remember, in Egypt, when the Lord sent plagues on Egypt, remember one of the plagues was darkness. And the Bible says that Egypt had a darkness that could be felt. Have any of you ever been in pitch black place where there was no light at all? Totally black, okay? But I guarantee you this, thank you. I guarantee this, you've never felt the darkness. But Egypt felt it. So when I'm meditating on these things, the words of Jesus, Father, if Egypt had a darkness in this little point of a pin in the universe called Earth in Egypt, that it was so bad that you could feel it, what in the world is outer darkness that was created for the devil and his angels and for everyone who wants to live like him and for him? It must be absolutely horrible. You've got to hear about hell at this tender age. I wish someone would have talked to me like this when I was younger. I wouldn't have wasted the first 18 years of my life. But you see, the Lord Jesus said this. And believe it or not, hell is not the greatest demonstration of the wrath and of God. There was a place that was greater, a greater demonstration of how holy and how angry God, how much he hates sin, that was even a greater demonstration than hell itself. But before we get there, we got to decide something here. The Lord... He could have easily just let the whole human race go to the lake of fire, and he only gave us what we deserve. He could have chosen to save the angels who rebelled against him and joined Satan and left the human beings because we are so less glorious young people than angels are. I was thinking in my thinking, I would probably go for the angels. They were created first, and they were so much more powerful and glorious. I would think, well, good grief, the human beings are made from dust. Let's just put them in the lake of fire, and let's save some of those angels. But no, here's what God did. He walked right past the angels. He chose not to save the angels who fell. He sealed them forever in eternal state of wickedness and God-hating, and they're going right here. And here's what, and he could have sent the whole human race down, but you know what he sent down instead? You're going to be celebrating this in about two months, three months, four months. Instead of sending the human race down to hell, he sent his son down from heaven. The second person of the Trinity, equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit. Remember what happened? He was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. How in the world did that happen? Here's how. Mary, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you so that that thing that's born and in you that shall be called the Son of God. So here the eternal second person of the Trinity in a millisecond, goes from his eternal throne next to his father, and he's in the womb of Mary. Microscopic, yet you can't even see him. Now, it says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born 
under the law. Jesus put himself under the law that came from him, that he gave to Moses. Let me ask you this. What do you think his report card was? Out of way, darling. A plus. You see, God was so pleased with Jesus that it says he gave him the Holy Spirit with no limit. In this room, have we not sensed the Spirit of God in the room since we've been here this week? Haven't you sensed more of the Spirit of God rise up in you since you've been at camp? And you love it and you want more. That's why you come forward and you want to seek God more for a greater infilling. But watch now, the greatest time that you have been filled with the Spirit of God is but a little drop. It says Jesus was filled with him without measure. In John 6, 27, it says that God the Father was so pleased with Jesus that he put on him his seal of approval. Bonk! Seal of approval. Then it says in John 8, 29, Jesus says, the Father's always with me. He never leaves me alone. Why, Jesus? I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20, 26, it says that Jesus was holy. He was innocent. He was undefiled. He was separate from sinners. I can go to the mall or watch television for 20 seconds and I feel defiled. Not Jesus. He could go right into a, the pit of hell and he's still sparkling clean. So he got a report card too. He shall save his people from their sins. Now, do you know why Jesus came? Why didn't, as a man, why didn't Jesus just come as the second person of the Trinity and just come back as, you know, he, God the Father and God the Spirit, or, or eternal spirit, infinite spirit. Why didn't Jesus just get off his throne and come as he was, eternal, infinite spirit, and come and save us? What didn't he have that he had to have to save us? Very good point. It says that since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus also had to partake of the same. He couldn't save us unless he had something that all of us have in this room. What is it? He had to have blood. He couldn't save us unless he had blood. Why? The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, that the life of the flesh, whether it's the flesh of an animal or a human being, is in its blood. That's why the Lord wouldn't let the Israelites, when they sacrificed animals to him in their place for their sin, they weren't allowed to drink the blood. If they did, they were cut off. Why? The Lord said, the blood belongs to me. Why is that, Lord? Because the life of the animal that is dying in your place for your sin is in their blood. And God must remember, it goes back to the first thing that sin did. It caused what? Death. And the way that God knows that his penalty for sin was met as he sees the blood was poured out. That means the animal or the human died. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, here's the thing. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of animals died in Israel. They had to be perfect without a spot or a blemish because if there was something wrong with the animal and it was dying in your place for your sin, couldn't be accepted because it's got issues too. That's why the animal had to be spotless or without blemish. It was worthy to be sacrificed. It was a symbol of Jesus who was to come. It says that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs 
can never take away sin. The death of an animal can never be a substitute for a human sinner. Well, why did Pastor Michael, why did the Lord tell the Israelites to do it? It was all a teaching and a shadow of things to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here he comes. He who knew no sin, this is for Christians only, this will not happen to you if you reject him. But he who knew no sin, for those who receive him, became sin for us. When you put your trust in him, you run to him, you give your soul to him, guess what? He takes your F-minus report card on him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And then what does it say in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13? It says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do it? By becoming a curse for us. Because your sin record, your crime record, young people, was placed on Jesus if you trust in him, the curse that you deserved because of your sin was put on him. Oh, God, open ears, Father. Where did it happen? The Bible says that Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they gathered together in that place, Jerusalem, and, you know, to crucify and betray the Son of God. But it also says in Acts 2.23, 2.27, I believe it says that they only did what God predetermined should happen. So you see, he used the evil wills of those evil men that we saw to have his son be crucified in the place of his people. He who knew no sin became sin for us. This is why Jesus said in the garden, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What was he talking about? In the Old Testament, when God was about to judge with his wrath a pagan nation who had offended him for hundreds of years, it says he would give the cup of his wrath for them to drink. And it was foaming, and the foaming wine stood for his holy wrath. That's what, Now Jesus was taking all the wrath of God, all the wrath jars, of God's people for all time was transferred to him. That's why even he said, Oh, Father, if there's any other way, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. And now what happens? Dying in the place of his people, Jesus drank the wrath of God all the way to the bottom drop. Well, how do you know that, Michael? Here's how I know. If he hadn't, if he left any of God's wrath still for you, he could never say, it is finished. What did he mean by that? It's accomplished. Every ounce of the wrath of God against God's people, I have absorbed. I have taken in six hours what they would have had to endure for all of eternity. I satisfied the holiness and the justice and the wrath of God that God's people deserved. I took it on myself, and because he was the infinite God-man, 
It only took him six hours to do what a sinner could never do for an eternity in hell. Jesus satisfied it in six hours. That's when he said, it is finished. And he yielded up his spirit back to the Lord. He shall save his people from their sins. By being saved from sin, young people, and we're closing with this, you get saved from death. You get saved from the wrath of God, from the curse of the law, from the law as being the way that you get to heaven. You get saved from the fires of hell. And there's one more thing. The one who started it all, before you come to Jesus, the Bible says you belong to him. It says 1 John 5, 19 says that we know that we Christians and Christians only are the children of God and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that before a person is a Christian, it says that the prince of the power of the air, his spirit is working in them. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, that for those who are not in Christ, the devil has taken them captive to do his will. Well, I never knew that. I told you, I just like girls and sports and music. You see, why didn't I know that, that I was pleasing the devil and he was working through me? Here's why. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says that the God of this world, meaning Satan, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers, those who don't want him, those who don't want to turn from their sin. It says he has blinded them so they don't see the light, which is the truth of the gospel, of the glory or the perfections of Christ, who is the image of God. That's why we were serving him and we didn't know it. He shall save his people from their sins. That's why you need Jesus. You have no hope without him. Oh, but I'm young. One of the most severe expressions of the wrath of God, young people, was the flood. Where we are standing right here was once five and a half miles underwater. We would have to look up five and a half miles because it says the flood of Noah had covered all the highest mountains over the surface of the earth. And if the topography of the earth is today what it was then, Mount Everest is five and a half miles high. And it covered that by 22 feet. We were all underwater. And watch now, young people. God is so holy that there were no children or teenagers in the ark. The Bible says why. In Genesis chapter 6, 5, and especially chapter 8, verse 21, it said every inclination and imagination of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil all the time from their childhood. He doesn't excuse people because of their age. You don't get in automatically because you're young. All of you need his forgiveness. For those of you who aren't in Jesus, you have a wrath jar over your head. It's not as severe and it's not as full as adults. You haven't lived long enough yet. But if you keep going like this to God, young people, if you're doing it now, you'll do it worse as you get older. How do you know that, Michael? Because here's something that terrifies me. Truth rejected hardens. What does that mean? 
Anytime you hear the truth of the gospel and about God and you reject it, not interested, the Bible says your heart gets harder every time you do it. So it's terrifying that if you're doing that as a child, what are you going to be like when you get older? Do you see? And yet we have a Savior in this room in his presence that he, he calls out to children. Why are children so special to him? Well, he said that let them come to me. And he got mad at his disciples when they kept the kids from him. But that doesn't mean you don't need him. You need him. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Bow your heads before the Lord. Remember, young people, I went to church for 18 years, and I didn't know him. 18 years ago in the church, and I was in a parochial school, too. And I didn't know him. You see? Jesus is calling you now. Why we have this camp? Why? The number one reason is to call young people to himself. The Lord Jesus' heart, young people, is to bring you into his fold. He's the good shepherd. But no one gets in without repentance. You have no hope of belonging to God unless you choose to repent and turn from sin. And we just showed you tonight what takes the sin away is the blood of the Son of God. And he is more than happy and willing, young people, to give you his report card, his A-plus report card, that once you receive it, it's on you all the days of your life. And your F-minus report card is gone. Where'd it go? Right there on the cross. That's why we have a big, heavy, lifelike cross in here. We must never forget it. That's why we put it right up front with a red light on it. It's your only hope of salvation. Let's bow our heads. I think I told you the other day, Jesus loves to hear prayers from children and young people. No one can pray to him for what you need better than you. You might realize tonight that, you know what, Pastor Michael? I have never received his A-plus report card. God can never not demand from you absolute perfection all the time. He must, for he isn't perfect. Well, that's crazy. Nobody can do that. That's right. Here's the wonder of the gospel. God gives you freely the perfection that he demands in the person of his son. You must have an A-plus report card your whole life. And God gives you his son's A-plus report card, his righteousness freely as a gift by you giving him your F-minus one and turning to Jesus. If you're feeling the spirit of God, young people, is moving on you tonight, that you know what, I don't have it, and I want to make the trade, Lord Jesus, you go ahead and tell him in your own words. And if some of you other kids have known Jesus for a long time, and you just want to come and Jesus, I thank you, Lord. Uh, some of this stuff I never heard before. I didn't realize how much trouble I was in and danger. And you just want to express your gratitude to him. This is the time to do it. You can just come forward 
and lay before him or kneel before him. This is what we do camp for. You come ahead now. And some of you other kids, though, well, I don't think I have the report card. I want it. You say that to the Lord first. You tell the Lord in your own words. There should be no talking at all unless you're talking to the Lord. The things that I preach to you, young people, these are the things I think about all the time. And this is what causes me to love Jesus. Yes, I think about hell a lot. It makes me grateful that he saved me from it. And it also gives me a burden to warn others about it. That's why I think about hell. If you never do, you won't be that grateful for Jesus for to Jesus for saving you from it. Until you realize you were the devil's prisoner and you were making him happy, you won't thank Jesus for saving you from him. You gotta be told these things, young people. And the more you think about them, the more grateful you are. When I think about the wrath of God, it makes me want to kiss Jesus' nail-scarred feet for a thousand years. For starters. For starters. Jesus, let me kiss your feet. That horrible, horrible place that Jesus said the fires never go out. In Revelation, it says there is no rest for the people who go to the lake of fire. Day and night, it says the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. They never get a five-minute break to stop suffering. And every drop of that suffering, young people, they deserve. And you and I deserved. And there's only one reason we're not going there. is because of the righteousness and the death of the Son of God in our place. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Jesus, he will save his people from the wrath of God, from the curse of the law, from the bondage of Satan, from the fires of hell. about these things, I, I promise you, you, you're, you will find your love for him increase and go deeper and deeper. And here's what happens, young people, as you do. The things of the world that you used to get impressed by and you used to be so excited about, they look foolish and stupid and vain, and they mean nothing as you ponder Jesus Christ and him crucified. That has been my life verse for decades, and I want it on my tombstone one day. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. It's even a password for one of my, uh, you know, things online. Is that what? I am determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified.
His Spirit just move on you? Why is the Holy Spirit in this room? Here is why. Wherever Jesus is the center of attention, the Spirit of God is happy to come and manifest His presence like He's doing now. When Jesus is the center of attention and He is the one we lift up in our midst, the Spirit of God comes even more and more. Hallelujah. That's the way it should be. Oh, Holy Father, precious Holy Father, our times like this with these precious young people, Lord, it's going to be, the, the, the seconds are rapidly ticking away. I'm asking you, dear, dear Father, in the time that we have left like this, please, dear Father, will your, would you, your Holy Spirit, please, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to take out your divine scalpel and just do a deep work in the hearts of these children, Lord cutting away things that their hearts have been tied to of the world that have robbed them of their time, their emotions, their affections, and they've stolen them from you. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would do that precious work in your jealous love of these people. The Lord even says, I am a jealous God. It's his name. I love it. Young people, God's jealousy over you is your security. His jealousy comes from his love. And if he sees that anyone or anything excites you more than him, he will come after it. And it's a wonderful thing he does. I would be afraid if he didn't. He might be putting his finger, young people, on something in your life that is more important to you than him. And you should thank him that he is, though it hurts. Take it, Holy Father. I'm so sorry, dear Lord. This has been an idol in my life. I'm so sorry, Lord. This is how it gets pushed out, young people, by hearing about Jesus and what he did for you and his love for you. It pushes out those, the love of other things that are so unimportant. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.